Well, it seems that Canada and New Zealand are in a race to have the most radical approaches to abortion, euthanasia, gender ideology, hate speech laws, conversion therapy. I recently shared how we should look to Canada's experience of legalising cannabis and the social disaster it has caused in terms of youth use, hospitalisations, road accidents and child poisonings. And just the fact the place stinks. Uh, weed stinks. Check out Colorado or Chicago or the local Green Party office. Okay, just kidding about that last one. Maybe. But here's the other disturbing development from Canada. Euthanasia became legal in Canada in 2016. And so if we want to see where New Zealand could be heading, then look at the trend of Canada's experience, experiment with euthanasia. And the latest data has just come out, and as expected, it's not pretty. Let's check it out. So Alex Schadenberg is the Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition, and I'm grateful to him for his summary. And he says, Health Canada recently released the fourth annual report on medical assistance in dying. That's what they call it. The data is gathered from the reports submitted by the medical or nurse practitioners who carried out the death. But he says there is no requirement that a third party or neutral person witness the death or submit the reports to ensure their accuracy, end quote. Which sounds disturbing, eh? I mean, these reports could significantly underreport the prevalence of assisted suicide in Canada. But the report indicates this, 13,241 assisted deaths last year, up from just 1,018 in 2016. That's a 1,200% increase. In fact, in just the last 12 months, there's been a 31% increase, and euthanasia represents 4.1% of all deaths. Now, I compared this to New Zealand so we had 38,000, just over 38,000 deaths last year. So 4% of that would be 1,533. So just over 1,500. Now, between November 2021 and November 2022 in New Zealand, the first full legal year of uh, euthanasia in New Zealand, 257 people had an assisted death. So that's 257 now, but based on Canada's trend, we could see an explosion in numbers over the next couple of years to over 1,500 per year. In fact, I noted that our first year of euthanasia is disproportionately high compared to Canada's first year based on per head of population. Now, on that graph, let me just show you that again. Uh, you can see the little red bits in the last two years due to the passing of Bill C-7 in the beginning of 2021 in Canada. Assisted deaths were also available for people whose natural death was not reasonably foreseeable. So people who are not terminally ill could die by euthanasia, which uh, is exactly what ACT leader David Seymour wants to immediately liberalise the law to. And he has stated that categorically for anyone who may not believe me or who may think he's tried to deny it. Uh, so about 3.5% of euthanasia deaths in Canada so far are for non-terminal patients, but expect that to increase. Bill C-7 in Canada also permitted, so this was the expansion of the law as predicted, 
uh, permits a doctor or nurse practitioner to lethally inject a person who's incapable of consenting if that person was previously approved for assisted death. So incompetent people can die by euthanasia in Canada, even if they've changed their mind. And it also waived the 10-day waiting period if a person's natural death is deemed to be reasonably foreseeable. So a person could request euthanasia on a bad day and die the same day. Now, regarding the latest stats, Schadenberg said that it's concerning that only 3.5% of the written requests were deemed ineligible. The Netherlands and Belgium have higher rates of people deemed ineligible. And once again, I had a look at the New Zealand data, and for the first year, 17%, 17% were deemed ineligible. So we'll watch that figure with interest and see if it drops similar to Canada's. But disturbingly, Canada's Bill C-7 also approved euthanasia for mental illness. That will go into effect next year on March 17th. In fact, a government, uh, Canadian government committee report recommended expanding the law to also include euthanasia for children, mature minors. But recent stories indicate that Canadians are now dying by euthanasia for reasons of poverty, homelessness, disability, a lack of access to medical treatment and mental illness already. And we've covered some of those cases in our previous McBlogs. But here's the most disturbing part in my view. When, when they were asked for uh, reasons for requesting euthanasia, the main reasons were the loss of ability to engage in meaningful activities. That was about 86%. And the second one was loss of ability to perform activities of daily living, 82%. Then there was further down inadequate control of pain or concern about controlling pain, 59%. And sadly, 17% died by euthanasia based on loneliness and isolation. But as Schadenberg says, social isolation and loneliness require a compassionate, caring community, not death by lethal injection. Inadequate control of pain or concern about controlling pain were reasons for just under 60% of the requests, and yet the report states that 80% of the people who requested euthanasia were receiving palliative care. And Schadenberg comments that being enrolled in palliative care and actually receiving the palliative care are different. And a study needs to be done to determine how many people died by euthanasia were actually receiving the palliative care that they were enrolled for. Now, look, here's just some quick examples to remind you where Canada has already got to. For example, an Ontario man, Roger Foley, suffering from an incurable neurological disease, provided the media with audio recordings that he says are proof that hospital staff offered him euthanasia despite his repeated requests to live at home. I have not received the care that I need to relieve my suffering and only been offered assist dying. I have many severe disabilities and I am fully dependent. With the remaining time I have left, I want to live with dignity and live with as much independence as possible. Having medically assisted dying presented to people in my situation is wrong, and also denying me the proper care that I need to relieve my suffering and continue to live is equally as wrong. What also troubles me is I'm not the only one going through this situation, but I'm lucky enough 
to be able to speak up. I fear that people see persons with disabilities as not worthy to receive health care. The fact is that the more a person is disabled, the greater the supports that are necessary to be put in place, and those supports must be tailored to a person's individual needs. Yep, and then there was Kat, who has a genetic tissue disorder. But she wants to live as long as possible, even though she's in severe pain. My suffering was validated to the extent of being approved for MAID. No additional resource uh, has opened up. She has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a genetic connective tissue disorder. That means joints easily dislocate and skin, tendons and organs don't work like they should. For cat, walking is difficult and even sitting is painful. I know the system well and yet I haven't been able to navigate and ascertain the resources that I need. EDS is a rare disease with no cure and few treatment options. She does not have a family doctor and though she's seen dozens of specialists, Kat believes BC's public health care system is not set up to care for people with complex and rare illnesses also living in poverty. I can't afford the resources that would help improve my quality of life. Initially, medical assistance in dying, made for short, was only approved for Canadians with terminal illnesses. But now anyone who's suffering can apply. I just think she didn't want to be a burden. Which has raised serious ethical questions that the elderly, chronically ill and disabled could feel pressured to choose death in the face of insufficient social and medical supports. When people are backed into a corner, living in poverty, it doesn't feel like a choice anymore. Kat's options are also fading. Her EDS complications have led to organ failure and she now weighs just 89 pounds. She thought applying for MAID could lead to more help or palliative care, but it hasn't. I feel like I'm falling through the cracks. So if I'm not able to access health care, am I then able to access death care? It is far easier um, to, to let go than keep fighting for additional resource. Yeah, interesting. It was this exact type of case that we um, were asking David Seymour about in that interesting interview we had on Straight Talk and with which he absolutely rubbished us about. But here's the evidence. One more. This disabled mum from Canada. And note her comments about the speed of each of the options which were being offered to her. Twelve days left on my medical assistance in dying application here in the province of Ontario. I'm a quadriplegic single mom raising two kids with disabilities. My life as it is without support as a quadriplegic is far more deadly than me even exploring the MAID process. Mother of three, Rose Finley, is applying for a medically assisted death. She filled out the forms and is counting down to the day she can access MAID. It's eight days as of today. But what Finley says she really wants is access to services. It's always been a challenge to find adequate personal care support. Uh, we don't have uh, transportation accessibility. Specifically, she says in smaller communities, including her current hometown of Bowmanville, east of Toronto. So she's taken to social media to raise awareness. So it's six to eight months wait list to get Ontario disability support. But it's only 91 days to access the MAID program, simply for having a disability and a poor quality of life. Finley suffered a severe spinal cord injury in her teens and has used a wheelchair ever since. She says she has always been self-sufficient, but finds herself now needing help. I think it's just better to have it as an option, 
have made as an option should I get really, really sick. Yeah, now you can follow Alex Schadenberg and his important work on at epcc.ca. So that's uh, Euthanasia Prevention Coalition Canada, epcc.ca. But as we know in New Zealand, access to the best palliative care we can offer is not always possible. Too many New Zealanders are unable to access acceptable end-of-life care, yet hospices are an essential service but they're not, simply not able to fundraise enough money to survive. Some hospitals have no specialist palliative care services at all, and the demand for the specialist medical, medical care will only increase significantly in the near future because our population is ageing and the number of people requiring palliative care is forecast to increase by about 25% over the next 15 years and will be more than double by 2061. Uh, previous governments have made little effort to address this growing problem and to increase funding for this essential service. You know, euthanasia is given priority and full government funding, uh, but hospice care is not. So we'll continue to fight the euthanasia law in New Zealand and ultimately have it repealed because nothing in the law guarantees the protection required for vulnerable people, including the disabled, elderly, depressed or anxious and those who feel themselves to be a burden or who are under financial pressure. I think we should offer the best world-class palliative care, and I've seen that in action at our local hospice. It's time we fully funded that, and not a lethal injection. We can live without euthanasia. Mm -hmm.